0: This morning I would invite you to turn with me to Genesis 34. Genesis 34 this morning as we continue our journey through the book of beginnings where we learn of God and his His people, Genesis 34. Genesis 33 ends at a high point with the worship of God, you can see it there at the end of Genesis 33, a high point, the worship of God when Jacob, who is now Israel, erected an altar in the city of Shechem to worship God. Genesis 35 then begins with a high point, with the worship of God, when Jacob, now Israel, erected an altar in the city of Bethel to worship God. However, sandwiched between Genesis 33 and Genesis 35, those high points of worship is Genesis 34, the focus of our study this morning. And Genesis 34 is a devastating low point. It is a dark chapter, for it has no mention of God at all in Genesis 34. And this morning I propose my proposition for our study is this. When man neglects God, that is the worship of God, the obedience to God, his living and his lifestyle digress... To further wickedness. But, folks, we don't need to re- read ancient history to know this to be true. Rather, we can observe the very same reality in our, our world today. We have removed God from our country, we have removed God from our culture, we have removed God from our consciousness, and consequently, we see that mankind is increasingly wicked. Paul described this very condition in Romans chapter 1. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that are not fitting or the things that ought not to be done. Genesis 34 describes enough immorality and brutality to jar the sensibilities of the most modern media-filled mind. And it certainly makes this preacher blush. For that reason, some Bible commentators totally pass over Genesis 34 in their treatment of the book of Genesis because of its subject matter. It's A.W. Pink who skips Genesis 34 in his book, Gleanings in Genesis, Alexander McLaren skips. Genesis 34 in his expositions of the Holy Scripture. Another commentator wrote that he cannot venture to offer homiletical suggestions for its treatment. Do do, do you know what that means? That that means that some Bible commentators were of no help to me this week (laughs) in my study and preparation because they didn't want to deal with the subject matter of Genesis 34. But nonetheless, from Genesis 34, I prepared a message titled, The Cause and the Consequence of Godless Living. Let me pause for prayer, and then we'll study together. God in heaven, we love you in your silence. We trust you in the dark. And Lord, our experience in the Christian life is is often just that but Lord we thank you for your written revelation to us we thank you for the fellowship of believers we thank you for your Holy Spirit we thank you for the encouragement that we find in your many many blessings and good gifts to us and Lord now this morning as we read and study Genesis 34 it's, it's a devastating and discouraging and dark chapter of godless living among your people And Lord, this morning we will grieve and we will lament what we read and and we will, of course, make relevant application to our own world today. We plead for your aid in this. Lord, I pray that your spirit will use it to convict us and change us. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline this morning is very primitive. It's, It's simply highlighting portions of the narrative. However, at after each point, I want, to, I want to highlight some important lessons that we, might, that we might make, practical applications that we might make to our lives this morning. Let's begin by reading Genesis 34, verse number 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Number one in your notes, a wicked passion. A wicked passion without any detailed explanation. The the immorality that was committed in these verses is clear. And by anyone's standard, the violence done against Dinah, the daughter of Leah, and Jacob was wicked. And what God intended as the beautiful intimacy between a married man and woman for pleasure and procreation was perverted to become an act of brutality and immorality and cruelty. Verse 2 says that Shechem, Shechem violated her. Verse 5 says that she was defiled. And when the wicked passion of a man's heart exercises itself in this way, it drives him to commit heinous acts. Here's the lesson. The takeaway, beginning with Cain's murder of Abel, earlier, you remember, in Genesis 4, mankind has committed every atrocity imaginable against their fellow human because the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. We don't even know it. And today, wickedness is mainstream in our country. It's accepted and promoted in the halls of government, It's accepted and promoted in the hallways of our elementary school classrooms. Our entertainment is full of violence and immorality and vulgarity. And we accept it as the norm because as Genesis 6 reported before the flood, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And folks, I declare to you based upon the authority of God's word that man is not basically good. Man is basically wholly depraved. And the wickedness of man's heart, the perversity of the passions of man's heart, compels him to commit these acts. Of course, the wickedness that's described in this passage was was committed, secondly, by a wicked person. There was a wicked passion. It's a matter of the heart. Committed by a wicked person. Wickedness is perpetrated by people. People. The responsibility and the accountability for wickedness is on people. Now, we can try to shift the blame to, to substances. We'll say drugs and alcohol. The, the alcohol made me do it. We can shift the blame to an object. Guns kill people. We can shift the blame to a liability. Someone grew up in a poor neighborhood or they didn't get a good education. Okay, but in every case, wickedness that is perpetrated in our country, in our culture, in society, is committed by people. By wicked people. In this case, the man's name was Shechem in verse number two. Not to be confused with the city of Shechem, but perhaps named after the city of Shechem. But he was a prince in the country. You see it there in verse number two. Suggesting he was in a position of authority and, and power. I'll say that he was powerful. This person was powerful. And whether ancient times, as we're reading in Genesis 34, or in our own times, men who enjoy high positions of authority and power often, often abuse their positions to indulge themselves in perversions rather than using their position to promote purity. And there is no end to professional athletes and career politicians and wealthy celebrities who live in moral lives with impunity because they can. And that's the abuse of their their power. He was powerful. Verse 3, if you're looking there, it tells us that Shechem loved the young woman. Okay, be careful here to note that Shechem's love for Dinah was not the true love of 1 Corinthians 13. True love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity. But Shechem behaved himself most rudely, most selfishly, most sinfully. That is not love no matter what he says. That is a perversion of love. He was perverted. He was powerful, this wicked person. He was perverted, this wicked person. When the, when the world talks of love, do not be deceived by sweet words. In fact, notice the deception described in verse 3. Verse 3 He loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. Are, are you kidding me? That is perverse and that is offensive. I lose my mind when, when I think about the perversion of, of the drag queens who host a, a reading hour with children in the public library or the elementary school. Some would say, oh, but they're speaking kindly to the children. How can our world not see the perversion of that? He was powerful. He was perverted. Third, he was persuasive. He was persuasive, and we're going to understand his persuasion as the narrative unfolds. But Solomon wrote uh, of the harlot, The lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. In this case, it was the lips of an immoral man, and the persuasive words. A lesson for us, folks, do not be deceived by a wicked person who flatters with the lips. A wicked passion of the heart, a a wicked person, all of this took place in a wicked place. Number three, a wicked place. Now, in Genesis 31, verse 13, God intended Jacob to go and dwell in Bethel. In Genesis 35, verse number 1, and it's not far away right before you, God prompted Jacob to go and dwell or live again in Bethel. If Jacob would have gone to Bethel, instead of settling in Shechem, we might safely assume that the circumstance would not have occurred, that Genesis 34 would not have occurred. But Jacob is in a wicked place. Here's the lesson we can learn when when choosing a place to, to live. Ask yourself first and foremost, what does this do for me spiritually? When you accept a new job or you move to a new neighborhood, what guides your decisions? Never mind how much retail shopping is nearby. How about a good church? Never mind the financial potential of that investment property. How about the spiritual benefit of a place And people might say, well, home is where the heart is. But if our hearts are wicked, we will err and make our homes in the wrong place. For the child of God, home is where the Lord is. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so always be mindful that you are living in a wicked place. And consequently, wicked things will happen in that wicked place. We have perhaps no control over where we live. I was born in the United States of America. Um, We have made our home in the Twin Cities because the Lord led us to this place. But it's a wicked place. We always need to be mindful of that. Number three, there was a wicked path. I'm sorry, number four, a, a wicked path. Verse one says that Dinah, the daughter of Leah, went out to see the daughters of the land. What does that mean? Bible scholars suggest that Dinah's lifestyle, what I'm calling the path for the sake of alliteration, of course, it was to seek the attention and seek the affection of those outside of her family, those out in the land the hebrew that's translated went out there in verse number 1 it's yatsad it bears a sense of impropriety either dinah's parents were permissive regarding her exploitations or else dinah was making these trips out on the town behind her parents back now know that know that this people don't usually fall into sin normally there are steps of failure That one follows into sin. Namely, in this case, the failure of following after the daughters of the land. In some way, Dinah felt the tug of relationships outside of where she would have should have been, and she followed that path and paid a terrible price. Now, be careful here. Let me qualify this. Dinah is a victim. Absolutely a victim. I'm not minimizing the wrong that was done to Dinah at all. She was a victim of a terrible crime. But at the same time, Proverbs warns us a companion of fools will be destroyed. And when we fraternize with the world, we will find ourselves suffering, maybe as a victim, the consequences of sin. And Dinah, in, in, in some obscure way or cryptic way or, or veiled way, the Bible is telling us that Dinah had to go out to see what was beyond the parameters of the people of God in the land of Canaan. And I would speak to the teenagers here this morning. The path that you take and the friends that you make may break you. And in the social media vernacular, you may need to unfriend some friends, some people in your life, lest you find yourself in the wrong place, at the wrong time, with the wrong people, and then the wrong thing happens to you, maybe no fault of your own other than you're in a wicked place on a wicked path. But it's not only the teenagers this morning. Moms and dads, we too live in the place, sometimes on the path of, of wickedness and wicked people. And at some point, we may fall victim and suffer because of it. Maybe no fault of our own, because we live in a fallen, wicked world. Dinah did put herself in a vulnerable situation as she went out, verse number one, to see the daughters of the land. Let me continue reading a large portion here of of this narrative, beginning in verse number six. Verse six, Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamer spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. Take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully. Note that there is deception now in this arrangement, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. They're they're bargaining for their sister. You see, if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and you will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do this thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. Stop there, verse 19. He was more honorable... If he's the honorable one in the family, this is a dishonorable family, you see. Verse 20. And Hamor and Shechem, um, his son came to the gate of the city and spoke with the men of the city, saying, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, their animal of of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city, heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now it came to pass on the third day, when the people were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers... Each took a sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. Um, number five, a wicked plan. A wicked plan. Let's begin with Jacob and then we'll, we'll talk about the brothers and the, and the rest of the, the story. Jacob was not a good father, folks. For these reasons, he was not a good father. These are not in your notes, but but as I observe it, Jacob was not a good father because of the, the favoritism that he has been demonstrating in all of these previous chapters. Re- remember, even here at the beginning of this narrative, Dinah is, is identified as the daughter of Leah in verse number one. Not as the daughter of Jacob until later in the narrative. And I believe she was described as the daughter of Leah because Jacob didn't even love Leah. How could he extend love, the right love, to his only daughter, Dinah? And and we know that Jacob loved Rachel and not Leah. And the the sons of Rachel were his his favorite. Second, Jacob was not a good father because he let his daughter go to Shechem uh, to to see the daughters of the land, verse number one. Why didn't he restrict her? Why didn't he restrain her? Why didn't he protect her? And we say, well, he, he didn't want to be too strict or else... She would rebel. Dads, be the head of your home and provide some godly leadership in your home. Don't be passive. You have every right to instruct your children what to do and what not to do, and where to go and where not to go. That is not only your prerogative, it is your responsibility. Remember what the Bible said about Eli in 1 Samuel 3. His sons made themselves vile, and Eli did not restrain them. I would submit that Jacob was not a good father because he didn't step in and handle this crisis himself. He let other people deal with it. And that's pathetic. In verse number 5... It speaks of Jacob's sons. There in verse 5, if you see it there, Jacob held his peace until his sons came back from the field. So, So what's happening here is Jacob's sons are running the home rather than Jacob. And the sons are taking greater ownership of their sister than Jacob was of his daughter. It was the sons who showed the outrage. It was the sons who negotiated the deal. Where was dad when dad was needed most? You see, Jacob's plan was no plan. Jacob was preferential, he was passive, he was pathetic. Okay, let's turn to the brothers now, verses 8 and 9. Hamor, who is Shechem's father, proposed an alliance without any apology for what had taken place, with no shame, with no regret for the matter. Hamor suggested that the Israelites and the Canaanites intermarry. Of course, we know that that violated God's decree in Genesis 7. As we read earlier in our service this morning, God's decree regarding intermarriage with the pagan people of Canaan was forbidden. And for that reason, Abraham told his servant in in Genesis 24 to not take a wife for Isaac from among the daughters of the Canaanites. And for that same reason, Isaac sent Jacob to Haran in Genesis 28, saying you shall not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. And so with, with Jacob's father And with Jacob's grandfather, he understood God's decree. But yet, even though the instruction was clear, they were prepared to violate that. Of course, in the New Testament, we are instructed to not be yoked together with unbelievers. And that's clear. But rather than declaring their conviction, what do the sons of of Jacob do here in this case? They, They answered with deception in a conspiracy in verse 13. And the deception was this, the sons of Jacob had no intention of giving Dinah to Shechem for a wife. But rather their demand of circumcision was only to cripple the Canaanites for massacre. And on the third day after the circumcision, when the men of Shechem were incapacitated, they could not defend themselves. Jacob's sons invaded in verses 25 and 26. It came to pass, verse 25, on the third day when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword, came boldly upon the city, killed all the males. It's a massacre. They killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, took Dinah from Shechem's house and, and went out. Let me keep reading verse 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city, what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Folks, without minimizing the violence committed against Dinah, um, the wholesale murder of the men of Shechem and the looting of the city and the imprisonment of the women and the children was inhumanely excessive. There was no equity in this revenge at all. And wickedness was per- perpetuated in this diabolical, wicked plan. Verse number 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the parasites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Number six, a wicked pride. Shame on you, Jacob. You're worried about your reputation. You're worried about your own skin. Of course, the, the sons of Jacob, the brothers of Dinah, said in verse 31 Should he treat our sister like a harlot? But all Jacob could think about is himself his reputation, never mind the the crime against his daughter, never mind her welfare, never mind about his son's massacre of the town people, never mind about the reputation of Israel's God. Jacob was embarrassed for himself. And that is a wicked pride. Folks, what a disaster. What a a mess. And um, I'm sorry that we had to endure the recounting of these things this morning. There's nothing pleasant about this at all. And I think our, our hearts would grieve the wickedness that we have read of this morning, the cause and the consequence of godless living. So how do we conclude? What do we do with this? Um, I don't know. I sat at my desk this week for a long time thinking, well, I told the story. I read the scripture. I blushed and cringed at the thoughts um, that God's people would behave in, in this way. Um, what do we do with this narrative? And I came up with this. In spite of man's wickedness, God is so gracious. Okay, where is that? Do we need to read Genesis 34 again? How and in what way is God gracious? Well, I think we find it if we keep reading into Genesis 35 verse number 1. You still have your Bibles open? Genesis 35 verse number 1. God's next word to Jacob is arise, go to Bethel, And dwell there and make an altar to the Lord. After hitting absolute rock bottom, God invited Jacob back to the place where Jacob was first saved, if you will, in Genesis 28. What better place to renew his relationship with God after all that happened, in spite of all the wickedness he had witnessed and all the wickedness that he had experienced, God promised protection and purpose and his his plan for Jacob remained unchanged and God invited Jacob to go back to Bethel. And folks, I would say this to us this morning. Perhaps you have been victimized in some horrific way, some way that is unspeakable. Or perhaps you have committed a grievous crime of some sort that is shameful. You may find yourself in the shoes of one of these characters in Genesis 34, but let me assure you that God invites you back into fellowship with him. God is inviting you to come again and worship him again at Bethel, the house of God, is what Bethel means. That is his mercy, and that is his grace, and that is his loving kindness. No no matter how far you strayed, no matter how low you've sunk, there is forgiveness and restoration that can be yours as you repent and turn to the Lord. Folks, we have read of the absolute depth of depravity of mankind. In fact, the people of God, Jacob and his family. And yet, God says in chapter 35, verse 1 arise, go to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar to God. Come again, worship, come again have relationship, come again, and I will draw you to myself and grant you forgiveness and healing in spite of the wickedness. The prophet Isaiah encouraged the people of his day in this way. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Folks, that's what we need individually as men and women and collectively as a, as a culture, as a society. We forsake our wicked ways, we return to the Lord, and God will have mercy and abundantly pardon. That's the good news. There is forgiveness and mercy and grace and loving kindness with our God in spite of devastating wickedness. Let's pray. O oh God in heaven, it is with heavy hearts and sober minds that we have studied your word this morning. And Lord, you have not kept these things from us, but you have preserved in your holy word the record of man's depravity and wickedness. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a holy grief over these things. And I pray that in your mercy and grace, you would draw back to yourself those who have walked away from you or committed to these heinous things, or perhaps fallen victim to these things. Lord, you love us, and we love you even when you're silent. And we trust you, even in the dark. I pray, Lord, that you would turn our hearts again to you, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.